And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor, Professor of Political Science, Grove City College, and Executive Director of the College's Center for Vision and Values. Dr. Kangor, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, sure, Dan. Always good to be with you. Thanks. You know, you just you just don't stop writing your books, it seems. <laughs> you have this um, a pope and a president, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the extraordinary untold story of the 20th century. So uh, I know you've got a lot to say, so maybe you can get us going. And um, what are some of the highlights of this wonderful book? Oh, well, thanks, Dan. And, uh, and this is one I couldn't stop writing. I think that was my problem with this one. I, I started... I started filing FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, back in the year 2000. Mm. And I've, yeah, I've literally done a dozen books, over a dozen books, since I started the research for this one. But you know, this was the project that just sort of wouldn't go away. I, um, my, my first, I guess, major book was called God and Ronald Reagan. That came out in 2004. And I had a chapter in there on Reagan and John Paul II. I knew how important John Paul II was to Reagan and defeating the Soviet Empire. Yeah, you know, you know kind of on the lines of uh, Thatcher and and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, Vaclav Havel, Lech Walesa, some others. But I, I knew John Paul II was probably you know top two or three on that list with Reagan. And I just, I started, I continued to get more and more information that kept coming to me that I, that I didn't expect. And I, I, I guess sort of a, a turning point, Dan, if I could focus it a little bit where I, where I decided I really had to do this. I was sitting in the living room of Bill Clark, who was Ronald Reagan's closest security advisor. And Clark is the one that really helped Reagan take down the Soviet Union and win the Cold War. Yeah. This was July 2006. I was Clark's biographer, and I was talking to him, and it was probably our thousandth conversation. And I said, Bill, I don't think I ever asked you about what you and Reagan thought about the shooting of the Pope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he said, oh, I said, well, Paul. And then, and then, Dan, what he proceeded to tell me, I was so stunned <laughs> that I didn't even look down to press the record button on my handheld recorder. Oh, no. And, yeah, and, and, I, and I thought to myself, wow, this is a big story. We tried to put it in the Clark book, the biography, but at the time it just wasn't ready. Clark felt we didn't tie it down enough. It wasn't tight enough. And as Clark said, you've got enough here for another book. <laughs> and, and, and it turned out I had way more than enough for another book. Well, before we go any further, what about the Pope and the President? They both saw the danger of the Soviet Union, right? And communism. They did, and, and they both truly saw it as, as an evil empire. I mean, Ronald Reagan first understood the Soviet threat in, really in the late 1940s when he was an actor in Hollywood. He, he was a liberal. He was a liberal Democrat. He, he called himself a hemophiliac liberal, <laughs> a, bleeding heart, a bleeding heart liberal. And he was, he was anti-fascist. He was, he was anti-Nazi. And, and then he kind of came around late to understanding the Soviet threat. I mean, not too late, you know, the start of the Cold War, but 1946, 1947. But John Paul II, who at that point was Karol Wojtyla, a young priest in Poland, he actually lived the Nazi threat and then the communist threat. And, you know, he, he saw how, how the communists were, were killing his friends, 
killing his fellow priests. You know, he saw how brutal the Nazis were, and then he saw how you know, not a lot changed with the Soviets, except in one way they were worse. They were even more anti-religion than the Nazis were. They hated God even more. So he saw it firsthand. He did. He saw it firsthand. I mean, he lived it. He, he saw his churches shut down. He saw priests and nuns locked up. Uh, you know, he, he yeah, he, he lived it painfully in a way that Ronald Reagan... I mean, Ronald Reagan would, would, at Reykjavik in the 1980s, he would say to his advisors, don't worry, I can handle the communists. I still have scars on my back from fighting them in, in Hollywood. Mm. <laughs> and Reagan in Hollywood did carry a Smith & Wesson. I mean, he, he, was, he, had, he had physical threats from communists. <laughs> but you know, Dalton Trumbo and John Howard Lawson and the Hollywood Ten, they never actually killed or jailed any of Reagan's friends. Uh, Carol Wojtyla, his friends were actually killed and jailed by communists. Mm. So these two guys, the Pope, John Paul II, and Ronald Reagan, uh, did they become friends? They did. They did become friends. And I was, I was floored. Here's another kind of pivotal path on uh, moment on the way to doing this book. God and Ronald Reagan had come out, so I guess this would have been 2004, 2005, and I was at an event in New York, and this Polish-American named Chris Zabitkowski came to me. He knew about my book, God and Reagan. He said, i got to tell you a story. He said, myself and some members of the Polish Solidarity Movement were meeting with Reagan after he was president. This was the spring of 1989 at the Century City office in California. And we were going to him for some campaign advice as these Solidarity guys were preparing for the first free and fair elections in Poland. You know, since they had been canceled at Yalta, since they had been promised at Yalta. And, and we said to Ronald Reagan, um, we were talking to him, and Ronald Reagan turned and he pointed to a picture of Pope John Paul II on his wall, and he said, he's my best friend. <laughs> and, 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 they, and you can imagine these Poles, who, of course, just really admired the, you know, the first and only ever Polish Pope. Well, sure. The only Slavic Pope, yeah. yeah. And they, they just loved this. And, and Reagan smiled, and they smiled, and they all laughed. And, and Reagan said, you know, of course he's Catholic, and you, you know I'm not, I'm Protestant. He said, but, um, but he's my best friend. And, I, you know, I asked Nancy Reagan about this, Dan. Uh, I, I asked a bunch of people about this. And you know, Nancy even used the phrase closest friend, which is kind of odd. Yeah. And, 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 and I think really what, what Reagan meant by this they weren't best friends in the sense of two guys who would call one another to talk about going fishing or golfing or the Pope asking Reagan about the kids. But I think Reagan meant that in this battle against what they both perceived as the longest-running, most dangerous, deadly evil of the 20th century, you know, that was born in Bolshevik Russia in 1917, right in between the, you know, the birth dates, the birth years of Reagan and John Paul II, that lasted through the 40s and 50s into the 80s. I think to, Reagan saw no closer, no better friend than John Paul II in, uh, in, in, in trying to stop and crush that evil of atheistic Soviet communism. That's amazing. Now, um, both of these men, besides their shared concern about Russia or Soviet Union, had a similar experience. Both of them were shot. Can you tell us a little bit about that and who was behind the shooting of Pope 
John Paul II. Yeah, and a lot of people remember, I mean, you and I lived through this, so you know, we remember, but when both of them were shot, and in fact, when Reagan was shot on March 30th, 1981, they initially reported that he wasn't even hit. I mean, I think it was uh, Frank Reynolds of ABC News who did that. They reported that he hadn't even been hit. Uh, and a lot of people that didn't live through it, they, they know, oh, yeah, Reagan was shot, John Paul II was shot. What everyone forgets is that they were shot only six weeks apart. Amazing. Yeah. So Reagan was shot March 30th, 1981. And imagine, Dan, as somebody who lived through it like I did, if these two guys had died in that spring of 1981, oh. I mean, there's no way the Cold War would have ended, certainly when it did, right? That is true. That is true, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, if there was ever a time where, from a spiritual perspective, um, you know, the, the forces of evil uh, you know, were, were, were at foot, were afoot um, in, in Washington and in Rome, this, you know, this was it. So March 30th, 1981, and Reagan was shot by not any international conspirator or mm-hmm. you know you know Soviet evildoer. He was shot by John Hinckley, who's this, as Reagan put it, a confused young man, as Reagan charitably put it, huh. who was just trying to get the attention of, of actress Jodie Foster. <laughs> crazy. You know, nothing. Yeah. He's a crazy man. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And and you know Reagan laying there right before he passed out for surgery, said, and his pastor, the Reverend Louis Evans, told me about this, I think it was 2006, Evans and I had this phone call, mm-hmm. and Reagan wrote about it in his diary. He said, Dan, he felt that if he didn't, at that moment, at that spot, on the spot, uh, forgive this confused young man who shot him, he felt that God was going to take him. Oh, my. Yeah, Reagan felt that, that you know, God wanted him to forgive this shooter. That's amazing. That's wonderful, really. It really is. It really is. And it's one of the similarities with John Paul II, because John Paul II would meet with his shooter in prison and forgive him in person. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, and I later found out, in fact, we, we learned this the week that Reagan died, June 2004, John Hinckley's psychiatrist, wrote a letter to the Washington Post saying, I've been keeping this information secret for over 20 years, but with the death of the president, I think I now need to release it. He said, Ronald Reagan privately, as president, contacted me. He wanted to meet with John Hinckley in person to forgive him. Wow. And, yeah, and the psychiatrist said, you know, Mr. President, I, I don't know if it would be a good idea. I don't think he's psychologically ready for that. And Reagan, being kind of classic Reagan, Reagan said, you know, Doc... Whatever you say, if you feel he's not ready, then, then I won't. Um, but I just want you to know, I would like to. And if I can, I would like to. And the doctor said, well, I appreciate that. It's very gracious, but I think you shouldn't. And Reagan said, okay. So Reagan didn't. Wow. But, but he forgave him while he was laying there on the table before, before he went out. And, and you, know, as he, you know, as he jokingly said to the doctors, I hope all of you are, I hope all of you are Republicans. <laughs> That's right, I remember that. <laughs> now, now tell us more about Pope John Paul II and his shooter and who may have been, be, or who was behind that. Well, so six weeks later, after Reagan, uh, after John Paul II had sent prayers to Washington, telling uh, President Reagan, I'm praying for you, I hope you'll be okay. 
Um, it's Reagan's turn to send prayers to, to the Vatican, mm. as he did. May 13, 1981, the Pope is riding in his Mobile around um, St. Peter's Square. I mean, talk about dramatic. This is right in the middle of St. Peter's Square. Oh, yeah. And, and they're waiting in the crowd. There were two conspirators. They were both working for the, for the Bulgarians. One of them was a Muslim Turk named Mahmoud Ali Asha, and he was holding, concealing a 9mm semi-automatic Browning handgun. And then on the other side of the square was his accomplice, a guy named Oral Chelik, who was holding a panic bomb. And the plan was that as soon as Asha shot, Chelik would ignite the panic bomb to divert people's attention and scatter the crowd so Asha would be able to get away. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. So they had it all planned out. There were basically seven conspirators who eventually went to trial for this, Bulgarian and Turks. And John Paul II eventually gets up around the square, gets to within about 20 feet of Asha, and Asha lifted up his gun, fired four times, hit the Pope twice, once in the hand, and another time right in the abdomen. Ah. The Pope collapsed, went right down, fell into the arms of his aides. They, the aides made a snap decision to get him into an ambulance, took just the right route, missed just the right traffic obstruction. It's exactly what happened with Reagan in Washington. Reagan was sped to George Washington University Hospital. If, if Reagan had been five or ten minutes later, Dan, he probably would have bled to death. Oh, that would have been terrible. Yeah, and if John Paul II had been five or ten minutes later, he probably would have bled to death. And equally terrible, yes. That's right. They both... The, the bullets missed, uh, Reagan's bullet missed his main aortal artery by about, by just a few centimeters. Oh. John Paul II's missed the main abdominal artery by just a few centimeters. Oh, my. He, John Paul II got to the hospital. He required about six pints of blood transfused. They, the first transfusion was rejected. Uh, the, the priest on the scene, his aide, Father Zivich, actually gave him last rites. Mm. Uh, Reagan required eight pints of blood transfused. It's a lot of blood. And interesting, Reagan's last words before he went out, after joking with the doctors and in his mind, forgiving his assassin, mm -hmm. John Paul II, before he passed out, said to the nurse, how could they do it? There's something behind that. Explain more. Yeah, that's right. Which is an amazing thing, because he just sees one shooter. Yes. Uh, but, but he immediately suspected that there was more than one shooter behind that bullet. And what I found in the course of the research for this book is that um, Ronald Reagan suspected that more than one shooter was involved mm -hmm. in John Paul II's shooting, as did Bill Clark at the National Security Council, as did Bill Casey at the CIA. And John Paul II suspected him from the very beginning and definitely by the summer of 1981, he was thinking that Moscow did it, uh -huh. that Moscow ordered the shooting. Uh, it, it got worse when the exact date of this is, was July 8, 1983, and Asha was being led out of an Italian prison to a courthouse, and he was handcuffed, and he was finally out in the open, and the Italian media was there, and they were yelling questions at him, and Asha said, that the Bulgarians, he, wor he was working for the Bulgarians, he said he was working for the KGB, he was singing like a canary. Mm -hmm. 
And wow. and when Casey and Clark and Reagan heard the word Bulgaria from Asha's lips, they basically knew. They knew it. Uh, the Bulgarians did nothing without the approval of the KGB. Uh, the, the Kremlin was running Bulgaria. <laughs> I mean, they joked that Bulgaria was like the 16th Soviet Republic. The head of the Bulgarian Secret Services basically was was a KGB employee. Wow. I mean, these guys did nothing. As Bill Clark told me, Dan, he said, it was typical of the Soviets. They always got proxies. They always got others to do their dirtiest work. Oh, yes, yes. Right, exactly. So, so you have researched this. Did anything else come out to uh, kind of firm up this opinion that it was the Soviet Union that was behind the shooting of of the Pope. Well, what what I learned, and again, this is another of those pivotal moments that said, "Okay, I, I have to do this book." I I was told that that the uh, that Casey became so suspicious of the CIA, and he was so enormously frustrated with the liberals at the CIA, the establishmentarians and the bureaucracy, sure. who couldn't imagine that the Soviets would shoot a Pope. These guys said, oh, the Soviets, they don't, they're not involved in terrorism. They wouldn't do this kind of, yeah, amazing. <laughs> it does sound like a crazy story, yeah. Crazy, absolutely crazy. There were actually people inside the CIA scratching their chins and saying, you know, I think maybe uh, the Soviets might see the Pope as a, as a, as a force for stability. Yeah. Communist bloc. Stability. Madness. So tell us, why would the Soviets basically hate this pope? Can you explain that? Well, they, they hate it, and let me uh, that once. So I, I found out that Casey ordered a super, super tight internal secret investigation within the CIA. Uh-huh. And it was run by two women, one in her early tw- or late 20s, early 30s, other early 40s. And they concluded that the Soviet uh, GRU, military intelligence, organized the hit on the Pope. And they did it with the go-ahead, the knowledge, the approval, the blessing of the head of the KGB, Yuri Andropov. Mm. They learned that. That's the report that I learned about, which has never been released. And I was told about Casey briefing Reagan. I give the exact date and time that I think that Casey briefed him. Um, you know, any notes from that briefing, Reagan's diary on what happened that day is among one of literally a handful of pages of thousands of pages of Reagan's diary that wasn't cleared for release by the federal government. I mean, it's it's still that secret. Well, this GRU, we don't usually hear of that. We hear of the KGB. What's the difference? Yeah, crucial question. The GRU was military intelligence. The KGB was political intelligence. And any old student of the Cold War knows that if you really want to know where the bodies are buried, it's the GRU. Uh I mean, they were the really nasty guys. So much so that when when the Soviet Union ended, the KGB was broken up and and reconstituted as the FSB. But the GRU is a rock. No one has been able to touch the GRU. So it still exists. Still there. It still exists. Oh my. Yeah. Wow. That's right. No, yeah, no one messes with the GRU. <laughs> That's and, awful. That's yeah. really bad. I shouldn't laugh because people are being killed because of this organization. Yeah, I don't know if they still are to this day, but they certainly were for a long time. Yeah, yeah they, they did the worst hits, the worst assassinations. So, so that's, 
that's what our government concluded. Casey knew it, re- briefed Reagan on it. Reagan found out about it. And I was told that Casey briefed the Pope on it as well, which, of course, he would have, because Casey was constantly flying to Rome in this C-141 windowless black jet <laughs> to, to, to go in. And there, there's, there's no written record of how many times he did this. I suppose there might be one somewhere yeah. that exists somewhere, but... Uh, and, I, and I was told that the Pope told Casey, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. This is what I always figured from the very beginning, and I think you should not release this information wow. because it will cause too much turmoil. Some people thought that this would, could be the new shot heard around the world, right? Mm-hmm. Launch World War III over something like this. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor about his new book, A Pope and a President, John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. And one of the big points of this book is that someone's behind the shooting of Pope John Paul II, and that's what we're talking about right now. Yep, that's exactly right. And, and so, they, uh, so, so the, the Pope said to Casey, uh, look, people suspect that the Soviets did it anyway, and if I come out and publicly accuse them, they'll do what they always do. They'll lie. <laughs> they'll launch a disinformation campaign. What's done is done. You know, basically, you know, they, they didn't get me. I'm still alive. And you know, this guy, um, like Reagan, had this powerful sense of, of divine providence, the yeah. DP, the divine plan. Reagan and Clark called it the DP. Interesting. They had an acronym for it. They spoke of it so often. They actually called it the DP. But they have this sense that, um, you know, almost a Calvinistic sense here mm-hmm. um, from, you know, the, the Catholic Pope and from <laughs> Reagan. You know, Reagan went to Presbyterian churches. Mm-hmm. So Reagan probably had this kind of Calvinistic sense as well that, that you know, God was in control mm-hmm. and, and that God had spared their lives and that presumably God would take them mm-hmm. when God felt it was right, too. And I, and I, and I must say here... It was a year after these two were shot. So this would have been on June 7, 1982. They finally came together at the Vatican, and they met for the first time after Reagan having wanted to get together with his pope since Reagan was an ex-governor watching footage of the pope going to his homeland in June 1979. They finally got together, and they said to one another that they believed that God had spared their lives for a special purpose. Oh yes, they believed. Yeah, was to was to work together to take down and defeat atheistic Soviet communism. You almost see that kind of sentiment um, with other figures in history, and it doesn't mean that they have perfect theology or a perfect life, but they have a sense that they're doing God's will in this world. That's exactly right, and and these guys did, and at the least, they literally prayed for it that they would do God's will. You know, they, they both um, understood, I think, the, the difficulty of discernment, sometimes discerning God's will. I talk mm-hmm. to my students about this a lot, right? It, it's hard to know always when you're doing God's will, yeah. which is why sometimes you just need to operate under a moral code yes. and try to know the difference between right and wrong. That's right. But I'll, I'll have students, Dan, right? They'll say... Um, I've got these three job offers. Which one is God's will? And you know, one might be this missionary group, another that missionary group, and I get three, you know, two or three really good things. And I'll say it's. I'll say sometimes you don't know until it's all over, and then maybe even then you never know. That is so true. Now, can you comment really quickly about 
uh, the USSR may have been wanting to invade Poland or something like that. Oh yeah, that's an amazing story. I have a, it's probably that's the second longest chapter in the book. Oh, can't cover it that quick then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but basically they this was a this was another of the revelations I got that that convinced me I couldn't drop this project. But real short, um, my source told me from Field Station Berlin that uh, you know, all the talk of the Soviets, the fears that they were going to invade Poland, which went on from the fall of 1980 until martial law in, in winter of 1981, that, that they had intelligence, that it was coming to a head, and the Soviets were actually ready to invade and were going to invade on March 30, 1981. And what stopped the invasion, he told me, was the shooting of Reagan. That's the same day. The same day. Wow. And, and in fact, he put the dates together for me. He said, what, what happened on that date? I said, well, actually, I'm weird, right? I know this is a Reagan historian. Yeah. And Reagan was shot that day. He said, that's right, and that's what stopped the invasion. Wow. That's amazing. The Soviets had nothing to do with the shooting of Reagan. No. But, but when, every, when that happened, they thought, we cannot invade now. That's right. And, and then especially when Al Haig marched into the Oval Office and said, I'm in charge. <laughs> I mean, that, a lot of people made fun of that in the United States. That scared the Soviets. Good. I mean, Haig was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. There you go. U.S. raised the DEFCON status. So that made Moscow think uh, more than twice about this. That's right. And my source told me it called off the invasion. <laughs> well, we're talking today with Dr. Paul Kangor. The book is A Pope and a President. John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, and the extraordinary untold story of the 20th century. There's much more in the book, and we would definitely recommend that you get it and read it. I've heard, I don't even have the book, Dr. Ken Gore, but it looks great. Oh, i got to send you a copy. <laughs> I would love a copy. If, if people would like to order a copy, <laughs> where do they go to get it? Just go to Amazon and type in a Pope and a President or try your local bookstore. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for fitting us in today. I know you're a busy guy. and Oh, sure. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Well, and you as well, and thank you for giving me your time. <laughs> Dear listener, please join us again for another edition of A Plain Answer. 